0: I grew up in a little town in northeast Texas, in a section of the country, a section of Texas that we all call Deep East Texas. We lived on the edge of Deep East Texas, actually. It, there some deeper than us in there, but we were on the edge of that, and that's where we grew up. I grew up in a large family. I have five sisters and a twin brother. One of my dear sisters, uh, just, uh, I just I can't tell you how much I love her and how much fun we have together. She's here this morning. Uh, She's elderly, much, much older than I am. (laughs) (laughs) My my twin brother passed away in uh, 2012 in January, uh, February. It's real close to the anniversary of his passing away. And uh, he's a story in itself. But we we were poor. Uh, I don't know that we actually walked around and thought that or felt that, but we were uh, very much so. Uh, we we didn't live in a house that had an indoor toilet until, oh, I don't know, I was in high school, just about. I, yeah, I was, I guess. Uh, lots of times we didn't have running water. Every once in a while we would if the pump worked. Most of the time it didn't, and we drew water out of a cistern and would, of uh, can tell you this, totally, we would strain the tadpoles out of the water and drink it. That's what's our drinking water. Uh, on, when it got real bad, there's a, a well way up on top of the hill, it's probably, half, half, I don't know, at least a quarter of a mile, maybe a half mile away, and and we would carry buckets up there and fill it up, and we would all... Bring water to the house, things like that. You know, we weren't aware of all that necessarily. It was just the way life was. There were others uh, where we were that were in the same kind of condition and situation, actually. So we didn't have much. My dad worked at you know, baling hay for the public. Uh, occasionally he would roughneck a little bit in the wintertime on an ore rig, but he, is, he was an alcoholic. And toward the end of the time, I'm telling you about, he was a radical alcoholic, as was my mother, our mother, uh, to the point where they drank every day until the point where it was very, 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 very difficult uh, on all of us uh, as we grew up. My mom wasn't always like that, but she got worse and worse as time went on, and for good reasons, really. My dad was a, boy, he is hard to describe. There, there was some... I don't have negative feelings about him. And I don't know why doesn't either. Uh, it, it, even though there was some very difficult things that we dealt with uh, personally with him that were hard to, hard to explain. But he was as near to a... I don't know. A lawless, kind of godless person that you'd ever run across. And he was a charismatic leader. He really was. I mean, he, people, he gathered people in all of his, so there were men at our house all the time, people at our house. And we had friends that, we were, he was, we were kind of the meeting, the axis around which uh, lots of things happened in that community. And we, it, it, this place where we grew up was so, I don't know, at least in that season of time when I was growing up, it was... Uh, It was a very, very uh, lawless place. They ran a headline in the Dallas Morning News when I was... We lived about uh, two hours away from Dallas, northeast of Dallas. There was a headline in the Dallas Morning News, which is the largest circulated newspaper, daily newspaper in Texas at the time. It was a huge circulation and they ran a headline on the front page of all the stuff that had happened and was happening Right there where we were And one of the things that triggered all of that was that we, in those days, there were a lot of dry counties where alcohol beverages couldn't be sold by law. Uh, so there were lots of bootleggers uh, who would, you know, uh, illegally sell uh, liquor and beer and all kinds of things like that to the public. And uh, there was moonshine moonshiners. Uh, I never did get involved with them, really, except to buy it, I did, for, uh, when, my mom, when my mom would beg me, I hated doing it, but I couldn't say no, she was too sick, I couldn't say no. So I knew, I knew the Moonshiners, I knew the ones that sold it and all of that. My dad bought it all the time. Um, in high school, I, I, I worked, we, we worked. We worked from, I worked from the time I was six years old. Riding the hay baler, tying bales that the knotter didn't tie. And then was, I had my driver's license at 13. I had a hay truck. When I was 11, 11 years old, and recruited some guys to work for me, and we hauled hay uh, to make money in the summertime. And then in the wintertime, a lot of times, well, most of the time, every time, just about, I would haul whiskey and beer to make money on the side. That's what I did. And I'm talking when I was very young. And uh, my brother tried it once and got caught the first time. Yes. This, this place was so small that there was only, five, uh, only seven in my graduating class in high school. Seven people. My bro- twin brother and I made up two sevenths of the class. <laughs> I was valedictorian of, of the class if that impresses you any. <laughs> and my, my brother finished in the top ten. You know, so, <laughs> one of the saving graces for Mark and me both. Uh, was uh, b- uh, our coaches in high school, b- basketball. We didn't have enough boys and uh, kids to do many of the sports. So M- Mark and I played baseball, uh, you know, uh, pony league, little league, pony league, uh, and we, we, were, we were good. And, uh, and we played basketball year-round. These little Class B schools all over Texas, in those days, thousands of them. And that's what we did. We played basketball. And, and we were good. <laughs> we were very good. And that saved us, because the coaches, just are, the two that I had in high school, they did not tolerate uh, you know drinking and smoking and things like that, that which, you know we, we would in the summer, but we couldn't in school. He, he would, would and did severely discipline us several times, <laughs> and we deserved every bit of it. We were known, it seemed, we were known, and I've heard people say this before, when anything would happen uh, in a negative way, which there were many things, lawless things, they would say it was, oh, it's John David Whitten, those damn Whitten boys. Pardon my French, but that's what they called us, the damn Whitten boys. Uh, I I I won't get into all the things, but when when I was, I think, I was driving, so I don't remember. I was already driving. I don't think I had my driver's license, but I was already driving everywhere. And maybe 11, I don't know. Maybe 12, I don't remember. But I, I was a witness, uh, and I saw this with my own eyes a, a witness of a man I knew who was one of the meanest guys uh, ever. Uh, which was that you know, Daddy ran in all those with those guys and really actually kind of herded them. And I saw him cut the throat of another guy that I knew, and the guy fell over and died right there in my vision. And I was uh, subpoenaed to testify in the murder trial, and I was scared to death, you know, about all that. I, I'm a kid and. But they never called me, and I asked my dad about that, and he said, well, Gerald, he said, he he paid off the judge, and uh, so you don't have to do it. And there's other guys like that, that my dad was a brawler. He he would go to these places, again, a good ways away, a long way, where uh, liquor was legal, you know, these old bars and awful places, and, and Mark and I really grew up, exposed, we saw things that little boys should never see, and we heard things that little boys should never hear, and so we kind of grew up, I think, uh, tethered in some ways to wanting to be better than what we, how we live, but at the same time, we were lawless. There was a sense of lawlessness in us that my dad never had a driver's license. Well, he did early, he just let it lapse and never thought about it again. Never filed income tax. Even when I got older, I said, you you better start, you know, he said, what are they gonna do to me? If if I did, they would owe me money. I said, how do you figure that? You never paid in a dime, you know, things like that. He just, just lawless. And no one, actually the, the sheriff, I think, in many ways, was afraid of him. Now, he did arrest him a bunch of times. They would drag him away drunk. It's kind of like Hoosiers, if you know that movie. We saw him drug away from baseball games in Mount Vernon more than once for you know, cussing out the umpires and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so Mark and I would see the sheriff come, come get him in front of everybody and haul him off and take him to jail, and then we had to finish the game. You know, things like that. It was, it was basketball games the same way. Uh, so, on the flip side of that, he taught me a lot. Uh, he, he drugged me, so to speak, with him all the time. Uh, I was with him all the time, just about. Uh, I saw him do things that... As I got older, I could see it coming, and I'm thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I know what's fixing to come here, and uh, sure enough, it did, and so, given all of that, what God did in my life was extraordinary. It's just extraordinary to me, I mean, to me, I know others have similar stories, but um, uh, we never went to church, didn't know anything about church. I mean, all classmates, I classmates, they went to church, I guess, but I didn't know they did. I didn't know anything about it. They never talked about it. I, you know, I just, I'd never seen a Bible. I probably saw one in, in the school library at one time or another, but I don't remember seeing it or seeing that. The only time I remember Mark and I even brushed up against the church was we went for some reason, to a, I think it's because they gave, you know, treats, uh, you know, food and stuff. We went to this vacation Bible school, this little Methodist church not far from where we live. Uh, I, can't, I don't remember anything about that experience outside. of I do remember we made a birdcage out of coat hangers. That's all I remember. <laughs> so I didn't think about God. I wasn't against God, I don't guess. I just never thought about it, never entered my realm of thinking. I, I was smart, I, I did great in school, uh, and that was also a, a saving grace for me, that I was, uh, and I was ambitious, I did not want to be like that, I didn't want to live like that, I, didn't want to, I did not want to, to be like that, and I didn't want to be poor, I swore I wasn't going to be poor, But we were lawless. My my twin brother uh, got sent to prison, Uh, which is another story in itself, that I got a chance to lead him to the Lord in prison. That's a a whole different story. But uh, and this was after we were grown. I was in seminary when that happened. So that was kind of the way it felt. Now, I was in college. I went for my freshman year at college. And uh, after I'd finished, I was coming home for the summer to work, to haul hay and work and make more money where I could go back to school and to live. And before, I remember before I came back home, I felt some things. I was agitated, just, school was fun to me, it was easy, school's easy, and you didn't have to work as much, you know, you'd go to class a few hours a day, and I thought, this is, this is like heaven, you know, Uh, and I, I actually enjoyed it. But I felt agitated. I remember feeling this emotion. This what and I think to myself: What's wrong with me? I just need to forget about all this stuff and just go work. And you know, and I just felt that way. And I'll never forget. The, I think the first night I was back at home. And when I say home, <laughs> uh, it was a house, <laughs> and we lived in it, so it was home. My, my brother and I, later when we were teenagers, built our own room off the out the back of the house behind it, out of two by fours and sheet metal, and we just built it, and that's where we we stayed. You know, no no amenities, but it's a place to stay where it wasn't so crowded with everybody. Four of us, Lida, Lida, myself, a, a younger sister, and my twin brother, we shared a room for many many years. The four of us. It's thinking back, I remember that, that Lida would almost every night lead us, the, the, four, the other three of us, in the Lord's Prayer. You remember that, Lida? She taught, actually, that's where I learned the Lord's Prayer. Is she taught it to me. I don't know where she learned it. <laughs> I have no idea. But she did. I remember that. Didn't have a great impact on me, but I remember it. So this house, I mean, anyway. The first night I got home, I, I went up to the li- little local gymnasium because that's the center of social activity in the whole area, really. Centered around, the, the gymnasium's the only place we had to gather, really, and we did. The kids, some backs, of uh, high school kids, others, uh, even older ones, we'd play, pick up basketball games all the time, we'd be out there for hours. And uh, different groups of guys and girls, too, played with. us. We had girls' teams, and uh, I went up to the gym that night to kind of get reacquainted with some of my friends and some people I hadn't seen in a while. And, you know, got involved in a pickup game. and was playing for a while, and I had this feeling going on, and I was kind of upset, and I don't know what was wrong with me. And finally I kind of got tired and just went over and sat down on a bleacher, on the front bleacher of this little gymnasium in this little East Texas town. And all of a sudden, I saw, I was just looking, I remember sitting there looking down. Didn't really want to talk to anybody. And I saw the feet, <laughs> legs of, I looked up, and it was this young woman who was a friend of my sister Lida, they were three years older than we were. So, you know, I, I, I knew her, I knew her, I grew up you know, and all these people, but I didn't really know her. I, I mean, I'm a little brother and, you know, but she was standing there, and she, her name was Sue, is Sue. And just kind of out of the blue, she said, I need to talk to you. I said, you know, I'm cross. I said, what about, you know, something like, which that's kind of the way I am. I said, what about? You know, it shows all over my face when I'm, you know, what about? She said, well, I don't want to talk in here. It's, it's, it's too many people, and it's hot. Let's, let's, go, let's go out. i said okay you know i go out there and we're standing on this little overhang in the front of this little gymnasium and sue launched in to all this stuff about god and she said you know why i'm telling you this i said i have no idea she said, two weeks ago, my nephew Tommy, who I knew and we knew, he came down the summers and you know we did things together some. She said, two weeks ago, he was killed in a car wreck on the dallas Dallas Worth Turnpike. And he, he was drunk and he ran off the road and he ran into one of these big light standards out in the mi- meeting of the highway and he's, he was killed. And she said, for two weeks, two weeks, I have felt guilty. Two weeks, I felt guilty that I never told him about Jesus. I never talked to him about Jesus. And she said, a moment ago, when I see, saw you, s- quit, saw you sitting over there, you, you just looked like Tommy to me. You, you reminded me of Tommy. Tommy was a good looking young man. Uh, <laughs> very. <laughs> and people ask me about my brother always, and they say, well, when they find out we're twins, they say, are you identical? And I always said, unfortunately for him, no. Uh, but I told him that too, and he had, the, you know, he. He didn't take it lying down. Anyway, uh, she reminded me of Tommy. I said, okay. And she launched into the story again. Talking about Jesus and Bible and, you know, uh, you know these thoughts and connections. I'm not ignorant, uh, totally ignorant of all of it. But it's, you know, I can't connect the dots. I don't, don't want to listen to it. I don't want to hear what she saying. I don't feel like listening to something like this at this particular moment in my life. And I broke in onto her, and she could talk. I broke in onto her conversation. I said, listen, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. All I want you to do is leave me alone. And she said, well, I'm not through. And she (laughs) launched it again. (laughs) Finally, it's over with. I I said, finally, I had enough. I couldn't talk anymore. And I left and all of that. And several days or weeks—I don't know the time frame—but a while later, as she had opportunity to run into me somewhere, which wasn't meant much, but a couple of times, she again would say, "I'm just—I'm still praying for you, and I—I want to talk to you some more if you ever want to talk," something like that. One night, I remember I was playing poker with daddy and some of his running buddies, which I had ever since I was, again, a kid, because it was a way I could, you know, get a little extra cash because they all got drunk. And I didn't. <laughs> and you could pick up as much money as you needed off the floor, you know. The, the, what? This little old, we were doing this in our little old dining room in this house. It was real small and, you know, they all smoked and you can imagine what that was like. My uh, daddy'd be drunk I could see him cheating, trying to cheat, and he's real fumbly about it and all this kind of stuff. And I think, oh God, any hand he was in, I didn't get in. I just played the other guys. And all of a sudden, there was a, the light was on in there and just right out there is the outside and I heard someone call my name from outside, but they're in the dark and we had light in here so I couldn't really recognize who it was. And it was Sue. She didn't come in. She she didn't want to come in there, but she shouted at me, Clark, Clark, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. And these guys, you know, I'm thinking, oh, You know, they're going to kid me and all this stuff, you know. Some woman that they, anyway. I finally just had to get up and go out there. And she said, I want you to do me a favor, a big favor. I said, okay, if I can, I will. What? What do you want? You know, she said, I want you to go somewhere with me. And I said, oh, no, no, I don't think so. You know, I mean, I don't want to be seen around town with an old woman. You know, it's going to hurt my <laughs> reputation. That's really what I thought. I mean, when you're that age and somebody's three years older, it seems like a massive amount. And uh, anyway, I said, well, where would we go if we went somewhere? What are you talking about? Come on, spit it out. Tell me what you're talking about. She said, I, I want you to go with me to uh, a crusade. My mind went to you know the Crusades, the Christian Crusades, and all this stuff. I said, "What are you talking about? Is it a, m- a movie or something? What? What are you talking about?" He said, "Well, no. It's kind of like this guy. He uh, it's in Sulphur Springs, and it's it, 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 and he's doing this thing in a baseball stadium, the baseball stadium there, and and he he kind of he's really a, a good speaker, and he gets up and he talks to everyone, and talks about you know um, some of the stuff I've been talking to you about a little bit and and I, uh, and, and I think you'll like him. I, I know you'll like him. You, you'll like him. And I finally said, Well, all right. I, I, no, that's what I said. I remember. I said, I didn't want to go. I said, If I go with you to this, and we, after it's over with, I said, If you promise me you'll never, ever talk to me about this again. She said, Okay. I'll do it. That's right. We got a deal. Now, the next morning—that was, that was to be on a Saturday night—and this was, I believe, Friday, Thursday or Friday. I don't remember. I woke up thinking about this commitment I'd made to go with her, which I didn't want to go anywhere with her, especially to that. And I just thought, I'm not going. I'm not going. So I got in my car, so to speak, and I drove to Dallas, where Lida and her husband lived. And uh, just to spend some time with them, but more to get away from Sue. There was. Well, I was there and I think I spent the night. And anyway, the next day the phone rings and Lida comes in and says it's Sue on the phone. You don't know, want to know what I said. I said. I said, what's coming to your mind? Well, <clears throat> you know. got on the phone. I said, how did you track me down? How did you find me? She said, and she just started bawling. bawling in Texas is crying real hard. You know, that's what that means. She just started boo-hoo bellering on the phone. Just, and... Finally, she snuffled up and she said, you lied to me. You lied to me. You tried to run away. You lied to me. I knew you were going to do that. And, and you lied to me. And she's upset, very upset about it. And I said, okay, okay, okay. I still got plenty of time. I can come back and go with you to this thing if you'll just stop bawling. And she, okay, okay. You come by and you, you pick me up at so and so time. So all right, so I went home, went by and picked her up. You can imagine how I felt about going to something that's so alien to me as anything like this. And we went in, and we were a little late getting there, so a lot of places were filled. They had all the stands full, a bunch of metal folding chairs on the infield, and a big platform set up, and so forth and so on. And we got there, and we sat down in a in a metal folding chair right on top of where first base would have been. The first base that had been there, if that shows you the. Geometry of it all. And they, you know, they did, we had these, they passed out these song sheets and stuff and, you know, I did the deal. They sang and stood and sat and sang and deal. You know the deal. And then this young preacher walked up. He was tall, good-looking guy. You know, older than I, but not that much. I mean, I think he's probably... Probably 15 years older than I am. I was. His name was James Robinson, by the way. is who it was. And uh, he was really an amazing evangelist back in those days. In the late 60s, early 70s, and 80s. This was 1969. And uh, he started talking. And it was like, all of a sudden, it's like Sue said, I did like him. He was very straightforward wasn't preachery you know he was um, he was a man before i knew him as a preacher i could connect with him as a man and uh he started telling us the last night of the crusade on saturday night i know now and he's he gave kind of his own testimony and talking about things like this he said you know, my, my mother almost had me aborted before I was born, and that's the truth. She backed out. She was in her 40s. She was late, had him later in her life. Dad, he didn't know his dad. And I was almost aborted before I was born. And he talked about the difficulties of, of all his life as he grew up, you know, the, the challenges of his life. And how the Lord had changed his life. And so forth and so on. He gave his testimony. So I could relate. I could relate to him. So I was, for the first time in my life, a little interested. And he said... He went on. I was connecting some. And I got to thinking... He said, you know, you don't have to be good to know God. You don't have to be a good person. He said, God, Jesus came for people like you, like us. That's what he came for, is us. He said, you don't have to be good to know God. In your understanding what good is. And I thought, hmm. I thought, well, maybe... Maybe that's one of the reasons I'm having such a hard time digesting all of this. It's not intellectual. I can figure that part out. It's something else. Why am I having such a hard time with this? That's what I was thinking in my mind. And then I got to think, well, maybe that's, maybe that's the reason. is uh, I've never felt good a day in my life. Really. Since I can remember. I never felt good. I wasn't good. In that classic sense of the term. And I knew it. And again, we had experienced some things that most kids don't experience. And a lot of the images and all that stuff were in our minds. This lawlessness. All this stuff was percolating. And I thought, I, I never even thought about being good. Anyway, he went ahead and finished his message. And at the end of it... As was typical, I know now, he invited people that wanted to pray and receive, as he put it, receive the Lord into your life. Would you come down and stand in front of the stage and I want to pray with you. I don't really remember getting up. I don't remember walking. And for the life of me now, I cannot, I cannot even believe that I did that but I did I was like I I just kind of pulled and I I remember feeling crowded there's a lot of people you know several several hundred probably down there and they were all close together and I'm feeling ill uh, ill at ease and and I don't know what's going to happen and I don't know I'm still and he 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 talked to us a minute uh, uh, if I remember and he prayed for us and said repeat this prayer but I, I didn't I didn't I, I didn't know I didn't know what, what was going on but I was observant and I'm looking around and by this time I'm weeping I'm looking around I'm thinking something is happening to these people something is happening it's obvious to me that something happening to these people and it's not happening to me it's not happening to me. Whatever it is, is not happening to me. What's wrong with me? I remember those thoughts. What's wrong with me? Why can't I get this? Why can't I figure it out? Why can't I, why can't I respond? What, what's wrong with me? And at the end, he said, okay, I want you all, there be some counselors, individual people that would take you and talk to you and encourage you or pray with you or whatever And and you know, people started moving that way and and I, I'm, I'm just standing there looking around. I don't know if I want to go talk to anybody or not. And all of this, and I'm feeling like just walking away and forgetting about it all. And this, uh, I thought he was old. He wasn't probably at all. But this guy, I was kind of one left, and he comes and he just grabs me and gets me. I found out later he was a, a deacon in one of the churches somewhere, and he's an old farmer, you know, gruff farmer. And, uh, He just kind of got me. I mean, he just kind of grabbed me. And he's walking over here and talking to me a little bit. And he said, we're going to go over here and let me talk to you a minute. And uh, there's only one chair left. But this time, he sits down in it. And he wanted me to kneel down in front of him. I'm thinking later, I'm thinking, that's that's a strange way to, you know, start a conversation about Jesus. I, I would think now. Anyway, he said, Get on your knees in front of me, son, so you can see me, so you can see me good. I need you to see me good. Just like that good. Not see me well, but good. You need to see me good, gruff. And then his tone softened some. He said, Son, I want to help you. I want to lead you in a prayer that'll help you receive. In his terms, I would not put it exactly like this myself now, but I want you to receive Jesus into your life, and it'll change your life. He said, and I'm crying, weeping. He said, he said look at me and stop that bawling, boy, so you can see me good. Stop that bawling. <laughs> it's just like that, so you can see me good. I said, okay, and I'm snuffling around. He said, I want to pray. And he said, You just say these words after me. I'll, I'll pray. You just, and he looked at me and he says, If you do, if you say these words, are you going to mean it? Are you going to mean it, what you pray, what you say? I said, Yeah, I'll mean it. Tell me what to say. <laughs> I'm about ready to, you know, decking. <laughs> he would have probably beat the crap out of me more than likely. Anyway, he said, You, you mean it? I said, Yes, sir, I'll mean it. I'll mean it. Yes, sir. I'll mean it. He said, okay, you pray this. And he prayed this simple little prayer. I don't remember all the words. And again, I wouldn't necessarily pray with somebody exactly the same way, but it was very effective. He said, dear Jesus. I said, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Now, Jesus, now, Jesus, I invite you into my life, into my life as my Lord and Savior. And I said that. And he said, now you thank Jesus in your own words. You thank him for what he just did. I said, okay. I said, thank you, Jesus, for coming in my life. I don't know I, you know. I said something. And he said, okay. And it was almost like a, a, a veil lifted. And what had become an incomprehensible ideology over here to me became a, I know now. A really, a living reality in my life—that God really did things to me there that I had no knowledge of at the time—that was going to, the rest of my life was going to grow and manifest in new and wonderful ways in my life that I didn't know any of that at the time. Now all of a sudden I felt happy for a second. And then I felt. Then, then my thoughts immediately went. What's everybody going to think? What's my dad going to think? What's my. What's my family? What my friends going to think? What's. What. What. What if. What if this is all goes away in the morning? What. What. If, I know it's an emotional thing here tonight. And is that what they're doing to me? Is this a. A thing to mess with your emotions and you know the atmosphere that makes you do things that you wouldn't ordinarily do and and and. and, and I was afraid, I'm, going, I'm afraid if I wake up in the morning and I don't believe this stuff, where am I then? That's what I thought. It's nighttime time now, you feel differently. In the daytime, how am I going to feel about this when I face my peers and my, my family and all this? How's that going to feel to me? And can I do it? I was just scared to death. So I was back in a mess, you know. And all of a sudden, Sue comes up. And she's just jumping up and down and so excited. And praise the Lord, I'm so excited you prayed that. She's a whole lot happier about it than I was. And that <laughs> lifted my spirits a little bit that it made her so happy, you know. She's going on. And Anyway, well going home, driving her home, she said to me, she's no theologian herself. She didn't know squat, actually. But she said, okay, now, uh, there's a couple of steps you need to take. You need to start going to church. And you 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 need to get baptized. I said, "Baptized? What's baptized?" You know, here we go. I don't know. She said, "Well, you know, they'll they'll uh, fill up a a thing, of, and they, you just go under the water." I said, "Okay, I got to go under the water." Yeah, you got to go under the water. Thinking, "All right, I'll go under the water." You know, I'm saying that. You, you just come to the church where I go, and I knew the church, Weaver Baptist Church. I knew that. This little square wooden structure with two sets of pews, middle aisle, little, you know, deal. It probably be, maybe maybe hold, I don't know, 100 people at the most, at the most. I knew the church. I knew all these people. I knew I, I'd hauled hay for all these people all over the county, everywhere. I'd worked and, you know, Stolen and stuff, and you know I, that's something else I got into one, one winter, by, kind of by accident, was I, I did uh, pick up a pretty good chunk of change for burning houses. guy approached me and said, "I want you, will you burn my house?" He had just moved out of it, so there wasn't much left in it, but for the insurance is what his deal was, you know wasn't. I said, "Well uh, how much would you charge me?" Two hundred bucks. He said, "Okay." I'm thinking, "All right, two hundred dollars." So I, I, I had a, I got a couple more contracts after that, so it was pretty good. Uh, anyway, that's all I knew. Sue, so, I left her, left her at home. Drove to our house, pulled up in front of the house. I was late. I don't know, ten thirty, maybe something like that. But Dad and somebody out on the porch drinking and doing their thing and you know cussing and so forth. And I'm thinking, kind of under the cover of darkness I'm trying to kind of skirt around them because I don't want to get into it. They're going to say, where have you been tonight? And all this. And I wasn't wanting to talk about it. So without much ado, I got to pass by them and I walked in the front door and into the little kitchen. I mean, a little galley kitchen. And my mama, by this time, was a was, was very uh, sick. Uh, alcoholism had so debilitated her, her immune system. She was skinny as a real little woman to start with, you know, five, one, or two, maybe. And she was skin and bones. And, uh, she was with her back to me. She was over the kitchen sink. With was a wash a dish pan, we didn't have hot water, so we had to heat water, you know all this, even though we had running water at that time, and had a toilet. It was cool. But I would never forget that. Seeing her back, and she's standing there methodically washing dishes and putting rinsing them, just slowly and methodically. It's like it takes the last ounce of her energy to do each one of them,'s what it looked like to me there's always lots of dishes because there was lots of people. And she never, I walked in and kind of stood off a little bit to her side, but behind her, cause the only position I could be in. And I said, mama, something happened to me tonight. I thought, I said, I, I still don't know what it was. But the people I talked to said, I got saved tonight. I said, I reckon that's what happened, Mom. I reckon I got saved tonight. She never looked around, never stopped washing dishes, and didn't say anything. So I kind of plunged ahead, and I said, uh, they told me I need to go to church and get baptized, and I'm going to go tomorrow. Immediately, she froze in washing the dishes. She didn't turn around, but she froze. And she said, Your daddy's not going to like that. I said, I don't care whether he likes it or not. We had to work on Sunday. I had hay to get in. It wasn't because he could make me do anything, it was because I had to get hay in the barn before it rained. You know, you just had to do it. So we worked. It didn't matter what day it was. If you got hay, you work. And um, I said, I don't care. I don't care what he thinks. I said, I can do all that later. I can get the hay and don't worry about it. I'm going to church tomorrow. And in my mind, I'm going to get baptized, but that didn't happen, obviously, for several weeks. And first time, I had no idea what her response would be. For the first time, she turned around and looked at me, and she said, can I go too? Can I go too? <clears throat> I said, sure, sure. sure. <coughs> of course, Mom, Mama. You, you, yeah, you can go. Sure, I'd love to have you go. I'm thinking it'd be good to have somebody with me so I can do this by myself. You know, m- more the merrier, safety in numbers, that kind of thing. That's exactly what I was thinking. <coughs> so, she did. The next morning, my mama, two of my sisters, not Lida, she was already married and out of the house, two of my sisters, two of the younger ones, and one of my sister's boyfriends, who, they were in high school went to church with me for the first time in my life. In their lives, I think. So we get to this little Baptist church and we kind of walk in the back door. Everybody knows us. You know, they know me, they know us. They, were are the damn Whitten boys. So there's a, you know, a good little crowd there. I don't know how many, can't remember. We walk in and maybe two or three pews down this way there's a room and we all come in and we pretty much fill up the pew with my family and of course it's a big deal everybody's looking at us and they weren't mean to us they weren't disrespectful or anything like that we didn't have much time to be that way but they weren't weren't that like that I don't don't mean that I mean but, but for one thing to have this many visitors at one time would be very exceptional and so you know I felt a little ill at ease but it's okay and Sue had told me, she said, now, like James did, she said, uh, when the preacher gets through talking, he's going to have you come, have people come down to the front and pray with him if they want to, and that's when you need to, that's your, turn, your time, you go down there, and you shake his hand, and you say, uh, I got saved last night at James Robinson's crusade meeting, I want to get baptized. Well, I had that memorized. I got saved, James Robinson's crusade meeting last night, and I want to get baptized. I had it down. And... And so we did, we had the song books and stuff, and we stood and sang and sat and did the deal. Like the night before, I'm getting to be an old hand now. I know the sitting, standing, singing thing. So I, we, we did that, but I, I, I couldn't concentrate on it at all because I'm wondering, when's my time? When's my time? Is my time going to be clear? Is it going to be clear to me when my time is, when I, my time is to go? Now, I remember thinking of that. And sure enough, he gets up and preaches. I didn't hear anything he said. And I couldn't tell you what he said. Probably didn't say much. I don't know. I, I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about the, the mechanics of this and when do I, I don't want to embarrass myself and I want to know when my time is. Sure enough, at the end, he was pretty clear about it and said, come and pray. Of course, that nobody ever did hardly, but uh, as soon as he said that, I get up out of my seat and I step out into the aisle and I start slowly walking toward the front. I hadn't taken probably five or six steps until there was some. Uh, it sounded like an old, older lady's voice, and it, it was. And she just shouted, just shouted something like "Hallelujah" or you know one of the, the expletive, not expletive, a exclamation, <laughs> an exclamation, uh, and. And I thought, oh, my, really, literally. I I jerked around, looked, said, oh, my God, I've done something wrong, they're screaming at me. That's what I thought. (laughs) But when I turned around, I saw what she was exclaiming about because my mama and my two sisters and that young man were all following me down the aisle. And I didn't know they were doing that. They came right behind me. And I went down to the front, and I said, sir, my name is Clark Quinton. I got saved last night at James Robinson Crusade meeting. I want to get baptized. He said, okay, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's great. You know, he's kind of surprised, I think, that this is happening. Actually, probably didn't happen very often. And he, and when I got through saying that, my mother was right behind me, and she, she's sick. She's she's, she's an alcoholic, and she didn't drink anything that morning before she came to church, so she is sick. And she is weeping so hard right behind me you know if I had wasn't so concentrating on everything it would have uh, embarrassed me probably that she is just weeping and I thought I gotta I'm afraid she's gonna pass out I, really, she's sick and I stepped back and I grabbed her by the shoulders and I kind of brought her up here and I said sir this is my mama I said, sir, I want you to know up front, she's real, she's a real bad person. <laughs> well, she was. I said, you know, I'm thinking, I don't know. And I said to him, I said, sir, please, I don't know whether Jesus can save her or not, but will you give it a try? <laughs> I did. I so will you give it a try? He reached out and took her two hands in his and he stood there and he, and he looked at her 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 and he didn't say a word. It seemed like a long time to me. It may not have been that long, but it was it was too long. And he didn't say anything and it's entering to my mind it did immediately. Well, I, Jesus can't save her. And I thought to myself if he can't save her, I don't want to know him either. So finally, I just took him away from her. I'm thinking to myself, I don't know whether Jesus can save her or not, but it's worth a shot to see. And I took her over and sat her down. And he started talking to the ones behind me, I guess. I don't know what happened after that, really. I sat her down on the pew, and I sat beside her, and she's weeping, weeping, weeping. And finally, I just took her by the shoulders. I said, Mama, stop that bawling so you can understand me. What the guy did to me, I figured that was part of the protocol. said, <laughs> <laughs> so stop that balling, so you can. And she wasn't used to me talking to her like that, so she kind of snuffled up and quit. And I said, "I said I, I want to help you pray, Mom, Mama, and uh, you pray this prayer with me, and Jesus will come into your life, and you'll be saved, and it's going to change your life. It'll change your life." I'm thinking. That's what he told me. This was the next day, you know. And finally, I, said, okay, I, said, I said, Mama, you've got you to gotta mean what you say. Are you going to mean it? She said, yes, I do mean it. Just tell me what to say. Tell me what to say. I don't know what to say. Tell me what to say. I said, okay, Mama, we're going to pray. And I said, I said you say after me. I said, dear Jesus. She said, dear Jesus. I know I'm a sinner, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I'm sorry, please forgive me. And Jesus, come into my life. I invite you into my life. As my Lord, and my Savior. Please come in and save me, and something like that. And I said, now, Mama, you thank him in your own words. You thank him for coming in, in your own words. And she, you know, fumbled around and said, thank you, Jesus, or whatever. She didn't know what to say. And after that, I... She was weeping so hard after that, I just laid her down on the pew. And I watched my mama weep out 45 years or so of pain and frustration and hurt and anguish. They did have presence of mind enough, the people did there and the pastor to talk to the rest of my family and lead them In in a commitment to the Lord, my mama never took another drink, and she quit smoking. She smoked camels, daddy and both, unfiltered camels, all their lives. A lot of them too, you know. Just she quit smoking within maybe that day. I don't remember, but it was a short period of time. She quit before I did. We didn't know anything, obviously, but I bought her a Bible and it got me one, and we started reading it together. You know, while I was there at at occasions, and we would read things and come back and say, "Okay, we're through," because I hear these these messages, and I, I, I had no reference point. It's a, you know, guys say, Noah, so and so. You know Noah, I don't have to find that. And I'm thinking, wait, 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 whoa, 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 I don't know who Noah is. Who's Noah? Tell me about Noah. What did he do? Who is he? That's the way I thought. You know, I want to learn this stuff, but you're going to have to be patient with me. That's what, what I was thinking inside. So I just thought, well, I'm going to have to find out for myself. So we just started reading, and within a year, uh, I think of probably a year, my mother was teaching a Bible study class in that little church. I think we read the Bible through like four times the first year we were saved because we wanted to know. After that, people started. I approached the pastor two or three weeks later and said to him, I said, Sir, because I'm sitting there thinking, I've been in this, listening to this and watching the people and all this, and it doesn't seem like anything's happening. I said, They just come and go. I said, Things are percolating in me. This has had an impact. I don't know why people don't, don't talk about this. Don't, you know, because I'm stupid. I don't know what's going on. I'm, you know, I shouldn't have said anything probably, but I just walked up to him. And I said, sir, uh, would it be okay uh, sometime if I could just, you know, have a few minutes, maybe five minutes to just talk to everybody about what happened to me and how it feels now? Would you do that? He said, sure, sure, you can have the whole service. I said, no, 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 I don't want all of it. I I don't have that much to say, just a little bit, just a little bit. No, you can have the whole service. I said, all right. So I got up and started talking the next week, talking about some of the things I was thinking and how it felt you know, I don't know any theological terms. I don't know any of the Bible. I don't know anything like that. But I wanted to, to, to express this experience to others to see if they had a similar feeling. Do, do they or not? I don't know. And people like me. They liked... We, we had a little, maybe two people in their youth group. When I got there, I started bringing all my friends. I mean, all of them, like Doug was. I mean, these guys I've grown up with and... People coming out of the woodwork of kids I knew growing up who were believers but never had said so, and I never would have known. You know, I I never thought about it, but they started coming. Well, yeah, and and so it's kind of a rallying point, and all these things started happening with them, and then these little churches started asking me to come and speak. You know, I I never, I don't, I still don't know anything. You understand? And I'm thinking, what one guy wanted me to do a youth revival, and it was just three, three times. You had to speak three times. I, don't, I, don't, I can't do that. I don't have enough to say for three times. <laughs> but I said, okay. So I went and did it and I guess got in ministry and didn't know it. I didn't know I was just doing what people asked me to do. And that profoundly impacted me for the rest of my life profoundly it wasn't easy all of it I was still raw still had all kinds of thinking processes to work through and ended up unbeknownst to me I joined a church at the college where I was going at East Texas State young pastor matter of fact the day i visited there the first day he was uh, not auditioning but he was speaking in lieu of coming there as pastor and they would vote on him and i liked him a lot a few, i led one of my fraternity brothers to the law oh actually lied did he and i were at this bar in dallas and we were pretty soused drunk and this is after i had prayed I told you I was working through things. And, and uh, I knew it probably wasn't good for me and I probably shouldn't do it. But so I was drunk and, and I started talking to him about Jesus. And I'm drunk. He's drunk. And uh, I, I don't even know what I was saying. And I just, you know, you need to know the Lord or whatever. Talking to him about it. And he said, well, okay. Well, what do I need to do? I said, well, I'm too drunk to talk to you, I, so I'm going to call my sister, because it's pretty, too, not too far from where she lived, from in Dallas, and I said, I'm going to call my sister, and she, she'll lead you to the Lord. I'm too drunk. So I called Lida, and it's late, and she said, okay, come on over, and I said, by the way, we're pretty hungry, if you have any sandwiches, and something like that. <laughs> I explained the situation to her, when I got over there, she talked to Steve, and led him to the Lord, and it really took. So pastor comes to us, the two of us, I don't know, a couple of months later, and said, I want you to to take over the youth ministry in the church. It's a pretty big church, 500 in attendance, so, you know, more at times, more than that at times. We don't know squat. But we stood out because the few college kids that went, you know, weren't uh, uh, as... I don't know, excited, ex- expressive. I don't know. We're, we're pretty pumped about all this, you know. So we did. He said, y'all divide them up. I first said, see, I get the junior high. You can have the high school. I want the junior high kids. They, they, they'll more nearly listen, you know. So we did. We we're very successful. Had the biggest youth group they ever had, so forth and so on. Lord bless, so forth and so on. And it was during that time where that pastor said to me, he said, I'm not trying to tell you what to do but he said I want to explain to you how a call of God feels in, your, in somebody's life and he said the Lord may be calling you to ministry he said the same thing to Steve so I said okay uh, I guess that's what I'll do so I did went to seminary started doing the deal 50 years ago. All of my family knows the Lord with the possible exception of one. She thinks she doesn't, but she does. Gladden, <laughs> I think. But Mark, Mark got saved in prison, led him to the Lord in prison, changed his life, totally changed his life. So proud of him. Just loved him to pieces. My daddy never did get saved, uh, strictly speaking, but he was a believer. He believed in God. Oh God. First thing he said to me when I told him, I said, Well, I'm going to be a preacher. First thing he said, I hope you're not going to be one of those damn Baptists. <laughs> that's what he said. I said, Well, looks like it. That's that's only. Place I've ever been. So I think, in his own perverse way, he was—he was proud of me in his own way. I don't know, but I know—I know he. I don't have any doubt. He's dancing in the presence of God right now. Just as proud as he can be. I know that. Here, here's the point of this, folks. I guess. I'm not religious. Really, you guys don't even you don't think I'm religious, do you? The ones that don't know that know me at the golf course or whatever. I don't act religious. That's because I'm not. I don't know how. I'm just me, telling you that you have no idea, probably what an incredible incredible thing it is to know the lord and have a relationship with him that's as real as any relationship on a human level that i have and more real than any. i know he loves me i know that and i love him and that's about as complicated as as i ever let it get He loves me and I love him. And we're okay. I trust him. I know he has good intentions toward me. And would move heaven and earth. For me to to be more aware of his great love. And his kindness. His goodness. He's better than you think. And he's way bigger than any of us know. He's better than I know. Much better. I know a lot about how good he is. I guarantee you there's a lot more I don't know about how good he is than I do know. And that's a process of discovery and allowing him to teach you and minister to you and be with you and console you and forgive you. He's already forgiven all of our sins. All of them. Past, present, future, done. Done. And if God's not real, I'm glad I know him anyway. But he is. So I ask you and appeal to you a little bit. Let your mind and heart go in that direction. Just not asking you to be religious, not asking you to go to a church, not asking you to do anything, not asking you to change your ways, that, that, not asking any of that. That's not, not, not the agenda. That's really not on the, on the table. Just open your life and heart to him and receive what you really already have, which is his presence. He's already with you. It's just a matter of you seeing it and receiving what he's done and who he is. That's all. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans 1. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The Apostle Paul. He saw himself that way. I saw myself that way. God didn't see either one of us that way. Neither of us. He doesn't see you that way either. Okay. Would you stand please? Now, if you like, if you would like, it's not necessary. Nobody in here will be the least bit disappointed in you otherwise, anyways. It's just, if you need or desire someone to pray with you, we, we will. I needed somebody because I was so ignorant. But you don't, really. It's between you and him but I would ask you just in the privacy of your own heart just to open the door and just say say it in your own words God, Father, Jesus, whatever all this is mysterious to me it doesn't, you know I I just That if you're there, I receive you. If you're there, I receive you. Since you're there, I receive you. And I receive your wonderful intentions for me and your love for me, your kindness toward me, your mercy toward me, your grace toward me. I receive that. And I believe. Let me lead us in a prayer, just in the privacy of your own heart. Father God, Lord Jesus, I open my heart and my life to you. And even my believing, Lord, is by faith. I don't know that I do, maybe, but by faith receive you into the affairs and the thoughts and of my life. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for chasing me down, finding me when I couldn't find myself, and for orchestrating the events that have led me to this place to open my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Now for the rest of you that already are where I am, let's all let the joy of our salvation that's mentioned in Psalm. God will return to you the joy of your salvation. Talking to David. Let the fundamental joy that's yours because of this seminal moment in your life and the rest of the ongoing moments of your life where he's with you. Allow the joy of just simply knowing God continually in every moment percolate in your life. And rehearse in your mind and remember in your mind how grateful you are just to know Him. So that, that joy, the joy of your salvation. It makes you feel like the most blessed person in the world. That's what I'm doing, have been, for a couple of days, two or three days, trying to work my way through what I've gone through and others. It's, Lord, beyond all this, beyond all the mistakes, beyond all the beyond all the humanness that makes up the church, beyond all the messiness that churches are all messy human beings. We're just humans, and there's going to be messes in our lives and how to deal with that and how to walk through it and the joy of your salvation the joy of God uh, monitors your actions and the things that you say and do and leads you to make decisions and things that are different from what you might have otherwise done don't ever get very far from the fundamental fact that you know God and He knows you you love God and He loves you I'll never not let it get a whole lot more complicated than that. So, Lord, I thank you for this moment. I thank you for today. I thank you for these, all of these dear people that have so encouraged me today. Thank you for my brothers back here that honored me by coming. Lord, I just pray for brighter days to come. I pray you're going to do something, Lord, in us, in this church, in churches around the world, and in our nation that changes the fate of our nation. I know you're not through, Lord. I know you're not. You're not through with the world. That you're up to some things that are going to change everything. And you've not stopped loving everybody in this world. So Father, I pray for you to do something that we cannot do. For you to affect things that we cannot affect we just trust you father as little children we come to you and we trust you we receive your blessing we receive everything Lord you have to give us in Jesus name Amen